Well, amen, the sun is shining today. Aren't you glad? After three Sundays of rain, God gave us one with sun. So we've got to be grateful in all things. That's right. Well, let's start with Psalm 1. We know the first two verses, so let's say them together. First word, blessed. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So we got the first two verses down, so let's erase that and see if we can say it from memory. All right, here we go. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. So, what's he going to be like? A tree planted where? By the rivers of water. So, let's say that much. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. So, that first phrase, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. So let's work on that verse 3 this week, and maybe we'll have it down by next week, and we'll have the first three verses. There's only three more. Will the last three of Psalm 3 contrast the first three? And so we'll look at those last three later on, and we'll see what kind of Bible person we are. Uh, hopefully we are learning to be that person planted by the rivers of water as we meditate on God's Word day and night. And that's been the challenge for us, as we've been talking about the Word of God, this, the beginning of this year, and uh, Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, he told the devil this, but uh, he wasn't just speaking to the devil. He knew these words would be recorded for generations and it would be for us today. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so we have been looking uh, at what it means to live by uh, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And some challenges to that, that we need, to, uh, we need God's Word to grow spiritually. We need God's Word to go throughout our lives for wisdom and counsel and, and instruction. We need God's Word to resist the foe, that is the devil, who snatches the seed of God's Word away. We looked at last week that uh, self, shallow self, that uh, the, the seed springs up immediately. We receive it with joy, but because of uh, hardship, difficulties, persecutions, whatever it is, the, the seed just, uh, the plant just withers away. There's another enemy to us hearing and receiving the Word of God that we find in Matthew 13. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow me in there or look at the screen. But in Matthew 13, Jesus is giving us the parable of the sower. And here is the fourth or the third type of soil. Jesus is comparing uh, the four types of soil to four types of heart and the way that soil, that heart receives the seed. And this first one, of course, was that hard ground that uh, the seed just fell by the wayside. The second soil was those stony places. And now in verse 7, some fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up and choked them. And then if you look at verse 22, we find the explanation Jesus gives for that. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word 
and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Let's pause to pray this morning. Father, as we come to your word, Lord, first of all, we realize that none of us have a corner on the market when it comes to your word. We need you, we need your Holy Spirit to lead us, Father, to give us a desire, a hunger and thirst for your word. We need you to be our teacher, our guide. And Lord, as we open it today, we ask, Father, for special wisdom and, Lord, insight. But, Lord, not just to understand it, not even just to believe it, but, God, that we might live it. We might be doers of the word and not just hearers. Lord, what's, what these three types of soil all had in common so far is that they all heard the word. But, Lord, it's what happened after they heard it that makes all the difference. So, Lord, I pray that we would not just check it off the list today. Well, I went to church. I heard the sermon. heard the Sunday school lesson. I'm good. Lord, I pray we wouldn't even do that every day in our quiet time. Just check it off the list. But, God, that we would seek to have your spirit plant that word deep in our hearts. That we would be like that tree planted by the rivers of water. That we'd bring forth fruit. That the word that you plant in us would bear fruit in our lives. Every day. That's the goal. And Lord, this fruit would be unto you. To your glory. It would be for the benefit of others. So Father, we just pray, have your way. Do not let your word return void to you. According to your promise. In Jesus' name. Amen. So... This seed fell among thorns. And I call this enemy. First one was Satan. Second one was a shallow self. This one I'm calling a secular mindset. And I say secular mindset because this type of soil or this type of heart has a mind set on the things of this life, the things of this world. They think more about, they care more about the things here. They're distracted by things below instead of things above. As Colossians 3 has encouraged us not to do. Paul wrote, if then you were raised with Christ, that is, if you've been saved, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Jesus said, this type of soil is covered with thorns. And thorns he uses as a metaphor to describe the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Both of which choke the word, or choke the seed. So, where do thorns and briars usually grow? Usually grows where you don't mow. Right? Usually grows where you don't till or plow. It grows on land that is left alone. Not used for anything. Uncultivated. We would call this fallow ground. Fallow ground is ground that's uncultivated. It's not in use. It's inactive. 
land was, is allowed to lay fallow with the hopes that it becomes more fruitful. But when in this condition of fallowness, it, it soon becomes overgrown with thorns and weeds. And the cultivator of the soil has to be careful. If he's going to plant seed there, he's got to come and break up that fallow ground. He's got to plow it up to clear the field of weeds and, and thorns before sowing seed. No gardener in his right mind. Brian, you just planted a garden. You just tilled your garden up. Now, what would happen if those of you who are gardeners and, 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 and maybe uh, have a little tomato bed or something like that, you said, you know, this year I just, I'm tired of working the tiller. I'm tired of using a hoe. I'm just going to throw the seed on that ground that's it's full of weeds and stuff. I don't want to fool with it. What chance do you think you're going to have good tomatoes? You're not. No gardener, no farmer in their right mind is going to sow seed on fallow ground without first breaking up that ground. Because that gardener, that farmer knows that those seedlings would be choked out by the competitors of the weeds and the thorns. So what are the thorns in our hearts that choke the Word of God? Don't think you don't have any. I think we all have some thorns, some weeds, some briars in our hearts that choke the Word of God. You know, Jesus named two in this passage. We're going to look at a third one that Mark identified in the same parable. But Jesus said, first of all, the cares of this world. And when I think of the word care, and I'm going to tell you what it means in just a moment, but I think of this passage right here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Jesus said, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. Now, do not what? How many people worry? Any worriers in here? If you're not a worrier, you're probably a liar. And Jesus talks about that too, but that's for another day. The word worry in Matthew 6 is the same word in Matthew 13, cares of this world. Same word. Do not have a care. Do not give a second thought to, is one translation. To what? About your life. What you're going to eat. What you're going to drink. Or about your body. What you're going to put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus gives some examples. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap. Now he's talking about over here in Matthew 13, the parable of the sower. He says, now birds, they don't do any of that. He said, God feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by having a care for his life, worrying, can add one cubit, one inch, to his stature. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, 
oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not worry, do not have a care, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the ungodly seek after. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but what is our responsibility? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Jesus knows all those cares would distract us from seeking first God's kingdom and His righteousness. He says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So I, this cares of the world, and I read Matthew 6, and I think, you know, that's paying bills. That's meeting needs. That's stuff we all have to do. Does anybody here not have to pay bills? Unless you're a kid. If you're a kid, you don't. It's coming. I remember, I was reflecting on that this morning, how carefree I used to be. Carefree. You know, he wants me today at my age, and you today at your age, to be the same way. Is right there, a little child. Not calling y'all little children, but carefree. That doesn't mean we don't assume responsibility. That doesn't mean we don't give thought to those things. But too often those things consume our thoughts and our emotions and our energy, and we have little time left for God. Those things, those cares, those worries crowd out. They choke out the seed of God's Word. And we use phrases like this. I don't have time to read my Bible. I'm too tired to read my Bible. And see, that's indicative of the fact that we've let the cares of this world consume our energies and our time, and we don't make time, we don't want to make time, For God, because we're so distracted with this thorn in our heart called cares, worries, making sure our needs are met. God says that's a wrong way to live. Did you know that's the wrong way to live? You don't believe that, do you? Let me read it again. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. You see, if your life is consumed with paying bills, you're living wrong. Oh, but that's what we're supposed to do. Yes, you're supposed to assume responsibility for your life and for your bills, but you're not supposed to worry about them and be consumed with them like that's all that life is about. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 33, Seek first. How can you, think about that this week, how can you, how can I seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness instead of seeking to pay my bills and clothe my kids and feed my kids and put gas in my car and pay my electricity? How can I seek first God's kingdom before all of that? Why don't you meditate on that for a while? Think about that. Ask God, Lord, show me how I can do that. But see, we we dismiss that. Because we think these other things are more important. We put God on the back burner. Lord, if I have time for you, I'll read your word. After all these other things are taken care of, we've made those things God instead of God. And that's wrong. That's that's the thorns in our hearts, the cares of this world. We all have them. We got to weed them out. We got to pull them out. We got to break up our fallow ground and get rid of that stuff. 
He also says the deceitfulness of riches is another one of those thorns. And riches, of course, means wealth, money, possessions, abundance. And it's not money that's the problem. It's the love of money. It's the desire for more, the desire for abundance. It's, he says, the deceitfulness of money. How is money deceitful? I'll give you three quick ways money is deceitful. First of all, we think our lives are measured by our money, by our abundance. Even our Christian lives. You know, one of the, the, the theologies that's going around, and you hear it on, if, if they're very rare TV preachers are not prosperity preachers. It's, it's, if you do well, if you obey God, and God's going to bless you, and, and one evidence of God's blessing is you're going to be rich. I read, Tana was reading something to me this week. It said, uh, blessed is the man who has his quiver full of children. And I thought, hmm, it just came to me. There's a verse right there that proves, oh, it said, actually the version she read said, happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. And I thought to myself, well, there's a scripture that says you can be happy and poor. Because <laughs> if you got your quiver full of kids, you ain't got a whole lot of money. But you're happy. We think our lives are measured by our abundance, even our Christian lives. Jesus says in Luke 12, 15. He says, do you not know that one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses? What would your life be like if you had half of what you have right now? Half of all your bank accounts, half of your income, half of your cars, half of your home, the size, would you still be happy? Or do you want twice as much more? You think, I, 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 I need more to be happy. There's this standard I have to reach. See, that's how money is deceitful. We're never content. We think we always, that's the second one, we think we always need more. Paul said, Philippians 4.11, I've learned in whatever condition. He said, I've, I've abounded and I have been very abased. I've been very at the bottom of the barrel. He said, but I've learned in either case, I've learned how to be content. And see, that's the deceitfulness of money. That's what the rich fool said in Luke 12, 16 to 21. Another parable Jesus told about this man. He, he had all these things. He fared more and more rich every day, every day. And then, and then he said to himself, he said, I'm going to have to tear down my old barns. I'm going to have to build bigger, newer barns to store all these things that I've accumulated. And then I can retire and take it easy. And God said to him, you fool, do you not realize that you are rich in the things of this world, but you're poor in the things concerning God. See, this mindset drives us to pursue more and more until enough is never enough. And this mindset crowds out the seed of God's Word. That's why Jesus said it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, because he knows how deceitful riches are. We work longer hours. We work more jobs. We fall for get-rich quick schemes. We waste money on the lottery. We cannot reconcile this mindset with the Word of God. So we dismiss the Word of God 
in order to give attention to our pursuits because the world has told us that the more you have, the more successful you are, and the more people will admire you. And there's nothing wrong with money and success if it comes as you're following God first. But if that is your only pursuit, you're miserable, and you're going to be. And I could give you testimony after testimony after testimony of men and women who've discovered that. How is money deceitful? Because we think we can live in both worlds. We can have our cake and eat it too. We can live over here in the pursuit of wealth, and we can live over here in pursuing God first. Well, the rich young ruler thought that too. He, in fact, Jesus called him on it. He said, uh, if you want to follow me, go and sell all that you have. Now, Jesus wasn't saying that that was the way to heaven. Jesus knew where this man's heart was. He knew this man's heart was wrapped around his riches, and so he asked this man to, to make a commitment. You're going to have to choose me or your money. He said, go and sell all that you have, and then you come and follow me. And he said the rich man left sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He wasn't willing to make the break. Jesus said in Matthew 6, no man can serve two masters. You will either love one and hate the other. You can't love them both. Or you will cling to one and despise the other. You can't cling to both. So Jesus says you cannot ride the fence on this issue. So when it comes to approaching God and His Word, one of the things that chokes out the Word of God in our lives is, is we worry too much about our lives and we are so concentrated on making more money. Money becomes our God. It becomes the one we trust to take care of our needs, provide our security. I want you to think on that just a moment. You think you have to have money because that's what is your source of security. Everybody, anybody got a dollar bill? If you have a dollar bill or a $5.20, take it out right now. Everybody take out. If you got one, take it out. I want you to look at it. I'll show you something very interesting about that money in your pocket or your wallet. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture while you're looking at your money. If you're like me, well, if I had my wallet on me, I, would, I think I got a $5 bill, but it's, I don't have my wallet on me. I don't care a whole lot of cash. I use, use my debit card, but uh, if you got some cash, I mean, pull it out. Dollar, $5, $10, 20 whatever it is. Some of you may have 100 on you. If you do, we'll pass off from plates again. Oh, ushers, hurry up, but they got their money out. <laughs> All right, are you looking at your money? All right, turn it over and look at the very front. Okay, you look at your money while I read this passage of Scripture, okay? The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. There, nor is there any breath in their mouths. 
Were you looking at your money? Did you see that your money has a mouth? Does it have a mouth? Does it talk to you? Mm -mm. Does it have eyes? Do those eyes see? Do, do, does your money have ears? Can it hear? Does your money breathe? The nations, the idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. The Bible described our God in America, and you're holding it in your hand. And it says, those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. Now I, want you to add, I want you to bow your heads right now with that money in your hand. I want you to make a commitment right here, right now, before God. Bow your head, close your eyes with that money in your hand. I want you to ask God, God, would you help me to not make this that's in my hand, my God, any longer? I'm committing to you to make you my God and not this idol that has eyes it cannot see, ears it cannot hear, a mouth that cannot speak. It does not breathe. You are the living God. Make that commitment to him this morning. Because if you don't, it will choke out your spiritual life till there's nothing left but a shell. God help us and help me. Amen. Now, some of you would say, Brother Lee, I'm not a worrier. And maybe that's not your particular problem. Typically, you, some of you are not worriers. I used to be a lot less of a worrier, uh, concerned about less things, but the older I get, and I find that uh, it's more of a struggle. Some of you say, I'm not really anxious about my daily needs. And I really don't care a lot about money. Money is just not a big deal to me. You're happy with what you have. But look at Mark 4.19. This is Mark's version of the parable. And Mark heard, want Jesus say one more thing. Matthew didn't pick up on it. But Mark must have been a better listener. <laughs> Mark said... In verse 19, Jesus said, The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and what? The desire for other things. So, what is it that's keeping you away from God's Word and drawing you closer to Him? If it's not money, if it's not worry over daily needs, that word desire appears only a few times in the New Testament. The Greek word used here. It's the word epithumia and it means concupiscence. Anybody ever use that word? It's a noun in the Greek and it means to yearn, to long, to have your heart set upon a thing. So committed to thinking about desiring that thing that everything else is secondary. Concupiscence. It's not limited to lust, but sexual lust, but it does, it's many times translated lust, 
because it could be lust for anything that your heart is set upon a person, a thing, a, an activity. So for you, if it's not daily worries, if it's not making lots of money or having lots of things, maybe it's that you have an unhealthy desire or concentration on pleasure. Popularity, your physique, your appearance, your performance, athletically or musically, pornography. It could be any desire, some which would be evil desire like lust and pornography, but some would be, we would call healthy desire, But if it's all that you can focus on, you've got to have it. You've got to do it. That's what your life is wrapped up around. Then that becomes what the Scripture says in this word he uses in conjunction with concupiscence, evil concupiscence. Because evil concupiscence is anything you desire more than you desire God. So Jesus said these three things are thorns that spring up in our hearts. He said there is the worry about our daily needs, the the cares of this world. There's the deceitfulness of riches, and there's the desire for other things. Other things, things other than God. We desire these things. We think they have to be a part of our lives. Those are the thorns that choke out the seed of God's Word. They're an enemy. And the devil uses those enemies in our heart to keep us from being the men and women of God that He's called us to be. And we wonder why we don't hunger more for God and His Word. It's because we've allowed these thorns to grow. And we think we can come to church, we can approach our quiet time with these weeds in our heart, and the seeds still take root. Just as no gardener, no farmer would dare plant seeds on that kind of ground, we think it can thrive in that kind of heart. Jesus says it can not That's why you don't remember. Many of you don't remember what was preached last Sunday or two weeks ago because you came with a thorny heart. You hadn't broken up the fallow ground. It received the seed. You were like stony ground. You received it with joy, but you forgot about it. You don't remember what your quiet time was day before yesterday. You don't remember what God was speaking to you because you think that you can have all this in your life and still hear the Word of God and grow. You can't. It is impossible. How do I know? Jesus said so. Lee didn't say so. But Lee's life is a testimony to the truth of that because I know when I allow those thorns, I can hear the Word of God, I can get excited about the Word of God, but it doesn't take root and it doesn't bear fruit. But when I have broke, spent the time to get on my knees and ask God to break up that fallow ground and, and get rid of that junk in my heart and I turn from that, repent of that, and then God begins to speak to me and I do get excited about it and then fruit begins to come out of it, then I, then I see the truth of God's Word. Now I want you to examine your life right now. God wants you to examine your life. You see, fallow ground is not hopeless ground. Just because that may be the condition of your heart right now, it doesn't mean it's hopeless. That's why he tells us in Jeremiah, in chapter 4, in verse 3, God says, Break up your fallow ground. Do not sow among thorns. Listen, if I were you, I know I'm, I'm, I may be 
messing up here. I don't want to mess up. I want you to come to church, but if I were you, before I heard the next word of God in my quiet time or church service, I would want to break up this fallow ground that's in my heart. I'd want to get, make sure there were no weeds there. I want the seed of God's word to, to take root and to bear fruit. And it can't do that with weeds. So, don't sow. He says, don't sow among thorns. Break it up. Plow it up. In Hosea chapter 10, verse 12 and through 13, it says, Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till He comes and rains righteousness on you. You have plowed wickedness. You have reaped iniquity. You've eaten the fruit of lies because you trusted in your own way in the multitude of your mighty men. But God says, break up your fallow ground. I challenge us today, myself included, let's break up our fallow ground. Let's not be content to show up week after week before God with thorns and briars and thistles and weeds in our heart. Let's purpose daily to break it up, to keep it tilled up over and over. You know, that's a daily thing. This, this truth, I didn't know it at the time until God brought me to this message, but now I know. We live on Highway 122, and three miles out of town, so we have to drive by Hugh Produce every day. Y'all know where Hugh Produce is? <clears throat> you know what that place used to be? A jungle. <laughs> it was a jungle. I mean, you couldn't even see in there. It was full of trees. I don't even know. I mean, probably just junk trees. Just weeds and briar. You couldn't even see in there. It was just thick. Thick. You could, it was just, you'd pass by, oh, there's a patch of unused woods. And it was bought. And they started clearing the land, and every day I'd watch it. Every day I'd see a little progress being made. I enjoyed seeing, okay, what's new today? What'd they do new today? And it seemed to me, after they got the land cleared, and I used to work for a contractor, so I used to be the, the, the plow. Uh, he would drive over and push the trees down and maybe push the big stuff out of the way, and then I had to come back with root, I mean with an axe and all that and get all the roots out, but... They would, they would get these plow and dig up all the roots and the stumps, and they did that. And then, and then I saw that they brought these tractors with the, with the disc and the harrow, and they'd plow it up and row. And every, I mean, it's like, I thought, man, one day I thought, well, they're done. They got it ready to plant. But no, weeks went by. And every day, it seemed like every day I would drive by, there would be a tractor plowing that ground. Over and over, just back and forth. I'd go back and he said, well, I guess next day doing the same thing. Next day doing the same thing. I was like, man, how many times? They just, that guy just likes to drive tractors. <laughs> I don't blame him. I like to drive tractors too. But it taught me a lesson, especially when I came to this passage. Is that that's what I need to do in my own heart. For some of you this morning, your heart is like that patch of untouched woods. It's so crowded. What I'm saying to you is just bouncing off. For some of you, you have had the land cleared. But there's still some gunk 
roots and junk still there. And the, you leave it alone, it'll sprout right back up. For some of you, you've had the, 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 the deep plow come in and pull up all those roots and, and scoop it up to one side and, and the land is relatively clear. But you need to keep running the plow over it every day. Keep running that plow over it every day. Keep that heart ready, primed for the seed. Because you never know when God's going to plant that seed. You never know what He's going to say next. And you want to keep that soil ready. Because you see, after Hugh Produce would have done all that work, spent all that money to get that land ready, that was, I don't know how long, seven, five, six, seven years ago they started that. Today, if they had left it alone after they got it, 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 it would have been grown right back up. Maybe not as thick as it was, but it had been grown right back up. So you see, you can't say, once I've done it, I'm good. You've got to continuously break up that fallow ground. So wherever you are, whatever condition your heart is in, it's not hopeless. But you need to break up your fallow ground. And next week, we're going to talk more about how do I do that? How do I get a heart that's ready? Like that fourth type of soil. How do I get a heart that's ready to receive the seed, for it to take root, for it to spring up and bear much fruit? How do I have a heart like that? How do I keep a heart like that? Let's pray together.